Welcome to Design for Joy, the radio ministry of Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California, celebrating the fact that God's people are designed for the joyful Christian life. We are glad that you could join us for today's broadcast with our pastor and teacher, Dr. Mark Mafucci. And now, let's go to the teaching for today. Take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, as we continue in our series through the book of Hebrews, today in the second chapter, and here's the key idea for today, there is danger in drifting. There is danger in drifting. From Hebrews chapter 2, the first four verses, and while you're finding Hebrews 2, let me just bring you up to speed. Last week, as we were in Hebrews 1, you will remember that we noticed that the book of Hebrews is unique. It has some special qualities. The book of Hebrews is actually a sermon sent in the form of a letter meant to be read out loud to a church facing crisis. The crisis is persecution, and in the persecution, some are wavering in their commitment, thinking maybe it would be better not to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The sermon is structured in an alternating fashion. It alternates between exposition, which is the teaching of the truth, and exhortation, which is the commanding of obedience based on what is taught. And it goes back and forth throughout the book in that alternating fashion. Now, chapter 1 had no commands for us. We're not directed to do anything in chapter 1. Rather, chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews is a celebration of a grand truth. And the truth is that God communicates to people. That is mercy in and of itself. God cares to communicate to people. And He has communicated in increasingly wonderful ways over time, culminating in the great crescendo of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the final word to mankind. We saw the author establish that Jesus is superior to everyone and everything. That Jesus is creator, sustainer, revealer, revealer, savior, glorified one who is worthy of our worship. Now chapter 2 for the first four verses is the exhortation based on that truth. Chapter 2 verses 1 to 4 stands like an island in the midst of his ongoing celebration of the superiority of Jesus above the angels and above all that is created. But verses 1 to 4 just kind of peek up above that, and now he commands, and he tells us what we must do in the light of that. He reminds us that we have a duty, and the duty is to listen up, is to pay attention Read with me. Just follow along as I read, starting in verse 1, chapter 2, he says this, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Our duty is to pay attention. Are you a good listener? 
Do you listen well? Listening is more than just hearing. Listening is paying attention. Listening is sifting out what is important and focusing on those details. There is a train of truth I want you to notice. Truth is to be obeyed, but it cannot be obeyed unless it is believed. It cannot be believed unless it is understood. It cannot be understood unless it is listened to. It begins by paying attention. There is peril if you don't pay attention. The words that the author is choosing are actually nautical terms. They're, they're boating terms. Verse 1 where it says, pay more careful attention, that's actually a picture word. It's a word that picture, uh, pictures a boat securely anchored in port. It's stable there. It's connected there. It's secure and safe there. He's, he's saying, and he's calling to mind for the Greek reader, an image of stay anchored to Jesus. And notice the opposite, lest you drift away. There's danger in drifting. Stay securely fastened. And the point I want you to see is you drift when you do nothing. You drift when you neglect your salvation. You drift when you are unconcerned. You see, you need to understand that life is like a river. There's always a current pulling on you. And the current is our culture. It's our society. And as it pulls on you, it will pull you away from God. Don't imagine that your life is like a stagnant summer pond in a hot afternoon floating in an inner tube with no breeze and no wind and just sitting there doing nothing. It may feel to you like you're not making major choices, you're not making major decisions, that somehow your life is still, but it is not. That's not an apt image for your life. In reality, there is always this current. The current of life left to itself pulls you away from Christ. And the only way to move towards Jesus is to swim against the current. D.A. Carson, a theologian, writes it this way, people do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness. We drift towards compromise, and we call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience, and we call it freedom. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking that we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves that we are liberated. That's the pull of the culture. If we allow society to drag us along, we drift from the character that God wants to build in us. We drift away from the will of God and the purpose He has for us to accomplish in life. And we drift always towards destruction. Look at verse 3. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? The Hebrew author wants to scare us a little bit. He wants to shake us up a little bit. He wants to remind us that you do not have to be violently opposed to the things of God to be lost. All you have to be is apathetic, and you will drift away, and you will be lost. How shall we escape? So what is the danger? What danger is he warning us against? What danger does he wish us to escape? What is the threat there? It's a good question. It's a theological question. Is it possible that he's telling us that you can lose your salvation, that you can drift away as a believer in Jesus Christ and finally and utterly be lost. 
Or is he saying something else? See, what the author is reminding us is that in any gathered assembly, in any group of believers, in any church, we are always a mixed multitude. It is always thus, it always has been. There are those of us here today who are truly regenerated believers in Jesus Christ, having been converted by faith and members and servants. We are part of the kingdom of God. Those who are truly. And then there are those here today who are the spiritually lifeless pretenders to the faith, playing church and going through the motions. And then there are those here today who are on the way to faith, seeking after a relationship with the Almighty. It is always that way in the assembled body. And so when he warns us of a danger that we must escape, the escape that he's warning you against, the, the danger that he's warning you against, will depend on where you start. It depends on your spiritual state. You see, for the spiritual pretenders, he's saying, you will surely not escape hell. Because to drift without Christ is to drift to condemnation. For the drifting believer, the backslidden, carnal Christian who's getting comfortable in the world, he's saying, you will surely not escape discipline. God chastens his wayward children. You will surely not escape a life that's lacking joy, an experience that's lacking purpose. Both of these ends. Now, the reality is no one is perfect. All of us are tempted. The lure of the world rings in our ears. You could make the point that everybody drifts from time to time. However, the mark of the true believer is this. The drifting is noticed. The drifting is brief. The drifting is repented of. And the drifting is replaced by a rising desire to be in the center of the will of God. However, the mark of the pretender the person playing church who has not experienced a true transformation, but rather is surface. The mark is that drifting is continued and we play games. We will come back to this point later on in the book of Hebrews because this is a central point to his message. But here is a sentence that I'd like you to write down to capture in your thoughts and to remember for future reference. He's teaching us this. Perseverance in faith is the mark of saving faith. Perseverance in faith is the mark of saving faith. When we drift away from a surface experience, he's saying don't ignore your salvation. In reality, the only reason we ignore anything in life is if we think, first of all, that it's not important, or we think, secondly, maybe it's not true. Those are the things that you choose to ignore, are they not? I mean, for instance, have you gotten the email from the bank in India that says they have funds waiting to transfer to your account? If only you just send them your banking information, they'll send you money. I hope you're ignoring that, because that's not true. We ignore that which we think is not true or that which we think is not important. But consider this message. You are loved by the creator of the universe. And a plan was formed in eternity past to rescue you from the judgment due your sin. 
Consider this, before you ever cared to know anything about forgiveness or hope, already Jesus had taken on himself the wrath of the Father in your place so that you could be saved. Consider that it was God the Holy Spirit who nudged you toward belief when you heard that message for the first time. It was God the Holy Spirit who touched you with what is called the work of conviction so you felt the need yourself to be saved. And consider that when you turn to Christ in faith, it is God the Holy Spirit who entered your life and changed you from the inside out in a miracle called regeneration. And you are a new creature in Jesus Christ if you believe. And he now enables you to be part of the work that he's doing in the world. Consider that as you bow and pray, the Creator God listens to your words and your hopes. And you can be assured that he answers those prayers always with a perfect combination of love and wisdom in perfect timing. And that even if we don't understand the flow of his will, it is always best and so we must trust. And consider that this same God who listens to the whispers of your prayers is moving all of history to a culmination. And one day we who are his will live in his presence with perfected bodies. And consider that even if I die before that culmination comes, all that it means is I'll be in his presence sooner with the angels and the saints. That sounds important to me. Don't ignore that salvation. But we also ignore that which we think is not true. That's why the wording of verses 3 and 4 are so important. How shall we escape if we ignore such a salvation? This salvation, which first was announced by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. What the author is doing there is he's showing us the validity of the message. He says it's announced by the Lord. Interestingly enough, that word that the NIV translates by really is better to be translated, I think, through. Announced through the Lord. It's, it, the word means through. And, and the reason that's important is because it shows us how this message comes to us. It shows us that the origin of the message of salvation is God the Father. And the vehicle for the communication of the message of salvation is God the Son, both the Father and the Son involved in bringing us hope. The message originated in heaven and was demonstrated on earth by Jesus. And then he says, and it was confirmed by those who heard him. And as our message conforms to their message, which conforms to his message, we are getting it right. It is true. It's interesting, the author in this wording is showing us that he is not an eyewitness to Jesus. He did not hear firsthand, but he heard those who were, and his message is conformed to their teaching. And it was testified to not only by those who heard Jesus, but by God himself, as he performed signs and wonders through Jesus and through the apostles, miracles that were pointers. Miracles were not just pointless displays of God's power. The miracles pointed beyond the person and beyond the moment to the power behind the miracles, proving God is in this. God is doing this. These are wonders beyond what human beings could perform. We don't want that which is just done by man. We want that which is done by God. 
and confirmed by God and communicated by God and demonstrated by God. And then that last link in the wonderful chain and the Holy Spirit gifts us so we can be a part of it. The chain of proof begins with the Father and involves the Son. It moves to the Holy Spirit and then to the witnesses that testify the message is true. It's important and it's true, so don't ignore it, what the author is saying, lest you drift. What does drifting look like? How do we know when we're drifting? Drifting begins in careless inattention to important things. And the eternal and the supernatural and the spiritual, that which really matters is not paid attention to. Sometimes we miss the balance of things. Remember your last plane flight? Remember the instructions on how to evacuate in case of an emergency? How many people around you were paying attention to that announcement? How many were even looking up to recognize it was going on? Very few. And the reason is because the sense of need for what that attendant is saying in that moment is very remote. But you hit turbulence in the air and everybody's counting the rows to the exits. Why? Sometimes a scare will focus our minds. Life is like that. We go through life with careless inattention to spiritual things, careless inattention to that which is eternal. But some turbulence comes along, and all of a sudden, we look to God. And the Hebrew author is simply warning, don't do that. Don't live that way. Don't drift that way. Tune in to the things of God through his word. But drifting also looks like a careless acceptance of that which is sin. When the standards of the world become our standards, when we say and feel and believe that we can just conform to the, the things of the world rather than the things of God. But there is promise. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What a great promise. Mercy is available. Hope is available. But the basis of that promise is the word confess. Interestingly enough, I, I want, want to just take that apart for a moment because that word in Greek is a word, it has component parts that you will recognize. That word confess in Greek is homologeo. Same. See, to confess means to say the same thing as. To confess means to say the same thing about my sin as God says about my sin. To feel the same way about my sin as God says, uh, feels about my sin. When we are doing that, we are confessing. It is not admitting. Admitting is different. I admit I'm a sinner. Well, God already knows you're a sinner. God has watched you sin. He doesn't need to be informed. But we need to confess. Because we need to feel the way God feels. We need to recognize that this sin is killing us. It is a spiritual cancer that eats away at our soul. We need to feel the revulsion that God feels about sin. That's the basis of where the mercy flows. Drifting looks like not confessing. It looks like trying to get away with. Drifting, thirdly, looks like a callous loss of appetite for the Word of God. Looking more to the entertainment of the world, to the knowledge, the things of the world, and looking right past the Scriptures. But this, this is God's love letter to us. And through it, He speaks. And drifting looks like 
a joyless routine in the cycle of worship. It looks like coming to church being all about self rather than about God, going through the motions. You know what we do when we come to church on Sunday? We come to please God. That's why we come. Sunday morning worship experience is all about God. It's not about us. It's about making Him pleased. It's about blessing His heart. It's about, in a sense, putting a smile on the face of God as He hears the praise of His children. And God has so constructed the Christian life that when you please Him, He exchanges that for blessing. He exchanges that for growth. He exchanges that for understanding and for guidance. And that's the worship exchange that is meant to happen. But it's not about us coming in here and saying, okay, let's, let's, let's bless me, hurry up. It's not about ourselves, not about our preferences, not about getting what we want. It's about giving Him pleasure. But drifting forgets that. Drifting thinks, well, they're not doing what I want them to do. How do we stop drifting? It's a simple formula, but it is a supernatural work. We stop drifting by repenting of any known sin that we might cling to and laying it down. We stop drifting by stopping to believe the lie that Satan says that you have to keep that sin in order to be happy. We stop drifting by admitting to ourselves, I'm not smarter than God. I can't figure out this life better than God has. And i got to put aside this thing that says, I'm going to be one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. This is my, my spiritual foot, but this is my happiness foot. And in order to keep happy and to have pleasure and to enjoy life, it means sin. That is a lie. And that lie is killing you as you drift. Repent. And secondly, return to that which honors God. Listen to the words of Jesus in Revelation 2. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Focus in on the word do. Isn't it surprising to you that he doesn't say repent and believe the things you believed at first? He includes that, but Jesus goes further than that. Because here's the second lie he wants you to push out of your mind. It is that lie that says, okay, yes, I do need to have a renewed walk with Christ. I do need to, to, be, to be more in the Spirit. I do need to be more dedicated and committed. I, I'm going to kind of walk closer with my Savior, but I'm not going to let anybody know that I'm making this decision because, after all, I have an image to uphold. I'm not going to let anything come out be, be different on the outside because this is a private, personal, inside decision. And Jesus knows you have to show on the outside what's going on on the inside in order for it to really stick. The things you did at first. Some habits have to go and new habits have to come in. Spiritual laziness has to go and a feeding on the Word of God has to come in. We need to be a part of the process of doing. That's, that's why we, we have Life Together groups and Sunday school classes, so we can be learning together. That's why we have Go projects into the community and into the world. Not because we're just goody-goodies and we want to just kind of rake all the leaves in Stockton, but it's because when we go and we put action to what we believe and we're active for the things of God, be they simple considerate things in, in our society or their active witnessing proclaiming the gospel when we go we are growing and we are fighting the drift 
We're doing what we ought to be doing. It's got to be on the outside. We're not earning our salvation. We are working out our salvation. It's all about swimming upstream. Robert Robinson wrote the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. In it, we hear the words, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. He didn't know it, but he was being prophetic in that line because even though he was used of God, he was a pastor and a preacher, years later he wandered far from the faith. He lived for pleasure. He lived for just the adventures of, of fleshly life and, and um, just forgot about his commitment to God. He was in a horse-drawn carriage. This was a century ago, a horse-drawn carriage, and he was traveling from one town to another, and there was a woman in that carriage, also a traveler. They were strangers. She was reading a devotional book, and in that devotional book, it had hymns. Struck up conversation about what she was reading, and she said, what do you think about this hymn? She turned the book, and it was his words, the hymn he had written. And he knew in that moment, God was chasing him, and God had caught up with him. He repented of his sin. He started weeping right in front of that woman, perfect stranger. But there's a line later on in the hymn, it says, streams of mercy ever flowing. And she was sensitive enough to say, the streams of mercy are flowing today. And he turned his life back to God. The drifting stopped. For some of us, we got to start swimming upstream. We have to work to fight the culture. And for others, we have to enter the realm of the forgiven. Or whatever is going on inside our hearts, you see it, you know it. And we pray that we would be true to the decision that we make. And we pray that we would live in ways that would honor you. Help us, Lord, for we want to listen to what you have to say to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.